0: Welcome to Green Bull Radio. I'm your host, Kendall Titchener. On the show, we share how notable leaders use environment, social, and governance factors to make a positive impact. Connect with Green Bull Radio on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok by following at Green Bull Radio. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. As head of the ESG practice group at MLT Aikens. Connor Chell leads a team of sustainability professionals who advise clients on ESG strategy and program development, ESG activism and disclosure risks, and ESG policy development and training. Connor holds a Global Competent Boards designation in ESG, a Certificate in Sustainable Finance and ESG from UC Berkeley School of Law, and has been named a Top 40 Lawyer in Canada under the age of 40. In this episode, we discuss ESG legal risks. Thanks for joining us, Connor.
1: Thanks for having me, Kendall, looking forward to it.
0: Well, let's get started. Tell us about you.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, you covered a few of the professional items there. Um, On the personal side, uh, I grew up in Oxbow, Saskatchewan, the illustrious metropolis that we like to refer to it as um so that's where i was born and raised Um, i went to school at the university of saskatchewan uh, for a commerce and law degree and then i've been here in calgary um, ever since my partner and i um, as i mentioned to you just before we got on air here um, just had our first son rourke about six months ago he's turning seven months this weekend so that keeps me um, pretty busy on the professional side of things um, i'm an environmental and regulatory lawyer by trade Um, i started out my career here in Calgary um, in 2007, um, I was with the firm uh, Bennett Jones, a prominent national firm focusing uh, on the energy space predominantly. So I was in the regulatory group there, uh, mainly working on environmental and regulatory permitting items, environmental compliance, that sort of thing. Again, uh, mostly in the, in the energy space, a lot of upstream uh, at the time, all the gas clients through midstream, downstream, renewables, international offshore, um, that sort of thing. Got, got a great um, experience there and, and learned a lot, a lot of great people. Um, some of the thought leaders in that space um, worked there, so had a lot of good mentors and that sort of thing. In about 2010, um, Suncor Energy, which at the time was Canada's largest integrated energy producer, um, approached me um, with the opportunity to go over there uh, and support them as their first exclusive environmental and regulatory lawyer. So I did that, a lot of the same subject matter um, that I was dealing with when I was at Bennett Jones um, in, in terms of regulatory permitting, again, in the, in the energy space. So lots of good opportunities there. Um, about After I was there for about seven years, I moved into a business role. So I was the uh, director of central environment and regulatory. So similar subject matter, but um, just not in a purely legal capacity. So I did that um, up until about 2021. Um, I started um, getting more interested in in sustainability and and ESG. I've been doing a lot of that work um, or related work um, while I was at Suncor um, and just saw the way the world was going um, from an ESG and sustainability perspective. So I started thinking about um, ways I could apply the skills that i would learned in a bit of a different way. So um, that was kind of the genesis of the idea to start uh, an ESG specific, uh, ESG and sustainability specific legal practice. Um, And I joined MLT Aikens as the head of the ESG practice group um, in September of 2021. Since then, we've we've grown our team. Um, You mentioned it off the top there. Uh, We have a cross-functional team of sustainability experts, so um, we do tackle ESG issues and sustainability issues from a legal perspective. But we also have um, a really strong multidisciplinary team um, that includes professional civil environmental engineering expertise, as well as enterprise risk management, um, indigenous engagement, um, and then we also, as a full-service uh, law firm, MLT Aikens, um, we'd leverage other areas of legal expertise um, as as we need.
0: Very interesting. I would imagine that your uh, your robust skill set is very in demand these days. <laughs>
1: Well, it, it's funny you say that, Kendall. Um, the last six months or so have been some of the busiest of my career. Um, part of that has to do with there's uh, mandatory legal ESG reporting requirements that are cu- taking effect. Well, here in Canada and then in the US, there's already um, existing reporting requirements in other jurisdictions. Europe um, is, a, is a good example. But um, in the face of these mandatory reporting requirements, the, the need for the services that we're providing. Um, I think, are really coming to the forefront, which which is it's a nice problem to have. But uh, yeah, I'll say the last little while here has been incredibly busy in a good way.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're very, um, maybe even ahead of curve in some ways in that there's been so much chatter about ESG and a lot of companies rushing to, you know, create their first reports and whatnot over the last couple of years. But then now we're seeing some of the legal fallout, um, as well as regulations, like you mentioned. So a lot of learning I would imagine um, amongst your client groups.
1: Yeah yeah no that's that's absolutely right um, and, and just going back to that mandatory reporting piece I mean along with that comes a significant amount of of ESG legal risk right like you see see it manifest in a, in a number of ways I think most folks are, are most often familiar with the term greenwashing so that's mm-hmm. you know, exaggerating um, the environmental benefits or alternatively Uh, minimizing the environmental impact of of your product or service Um, so there's actual legal ramifications that that come along with that but there's there's also a number of other legal risks um, that can manifest relative to ESG performance and and some of those actually are created outside of the four corners of your ESG report Um, you know things like regulatory compliance um, you know uh, your securities and financial disclosure, those can all be sources of, of risk from an ESG perspective as well.
0: And so on that note, how are ESG legal risks different from other types of legal risks? And why are they becoming more prominent in today's business
1: landscape? Yeah, for sure. Good question. I mean, maybe I'll start with, with the why. Um, why they're becoming more prominent is because uh, effectively the investment community um, is now requiring um, much more than your purely and historic financial disclosure. Um, so it's moving into non-financial metrics, you know, across the E and the S and the G and investors at all levels, I would add, are, are, are demanding this sort of information in order to assess um, effectively the companies that they invest in. So institutional investors, retail, even individuals in their individual investing capacity are asking for you know, sustainable and, and green investment products. So the demand is is across the board. So I, I think that's that's why um, they're becoming more prominent from a risk perspective. And then along with that, obviously, goes uh, regulation and legislation. So I touched on the mandatory reporting piece, but um, there's a whole host of, of different um, regulations and laws that are coming into effect that aren't aren't purely related to to ESG reporting. Um, a good example of that is. Bill S-211, um, which is the Modern Slavery Act that's coming into effect here in Canada, effectively where um, mostly larger companies for the time being um, are required to report out on their supply chain risks relative to modern slavery. So that's child-enforced labor. Um, so that's another good example of, of where the legal risk is, is manifesting. Um, and in terms of the, the types of risk, um, you know, there's, there's a number of uh, sources and there's a number of enforcement mechanisms that, that come into play. Um, litigation is one um, some folks are probably familiar with, you know, climate change litigation would be kind of the biggest area uh, to date in the ESG space, but we're also starting to see um, litigation for other topics, um, including, you know, gender representation on boards, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, indigenous engagement. There's, there's a whole huge body of case law relative to indigenous rights. Um, but um, I think there's a, a more particular focus um you know with the advent of, of ESG and and talking about you know truth and reconciliation in the Canadian context as an example I think you're going to see a lot more um, litigation that you know ties in with some of these ESG principles that we're that we're talking about and, and I guess you know to the first part of your question about how are, are those risks different than, than other types of risks um the fact that they're new and emerging right there's there's not a lot of precedent for for a lot of this, um, and that includes the reporting requirements, right? The jurisdictions, um, there is some alignment uh, internationally and between d- different jurisdictions, but, you know, um, I often describe to my clients kind of two waves that we've seen of, of ESG reporting. Um, over the last 15 years or so, um, you know, I would say that the ESG reporting has been uh, you know, mostly characterized as, as as promotional in many ways, companies were trying to promote the good things that they were doing from an ESG perspective, um, but it was all voluntary. There was no actual um, legal requirement to, to do that. So there wasn't a lot of rigor that went into um, a lot of the data that was included, nor um, a lot of the targets um, that people were setting or the claims that companies were making. Um, what's changing now is with these legal requirements, we're moving from that voluntary and promotional wave um, into a second wave which is uh, the mandatory reporting um, regime and I guess what we're going to see there is it's going to be characterized uh, instead instead of being promotional it's going to be characterized by by enforcement um, on a variety of fronts
0: very interesting um hmm. And so, and this next question I know would vary drastically depending on industry, Um, but in your experience, what are some of the most significant ESG legal risks that companies face and how can they mitigate these risks?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I think the first one that that is most prominent uh, is relative to to climate change and inaction on that front. Um, So that's kind of the biggest legal risk I I see. and it, there's also different sources you know, I, I touched upon, you know, climate change litigation as an example, but there's also regulatory enforcement um, from an advertising perspective. Um, you have agencies like the Competition Bureau here in Canada um, that are looking at claims um, that, that companies make relative to ESG performance. So that's a new and emerging area. Um, RBC is under investigation currently. Uh, the Canadian Gas Association here in Canada. In the U.S., um, the Securities and Exchange Commission is, is going Uh, really hard on one of the global leaders um, in the fight against, you know, specific to greenwashing now, but I think that'll expand in scope and ambit as uh, ESG reporting matures. So you have that regulatory enforcement piece by, you know, Securities and Exchange Commission Competition Bureau. But then you're also seeing uh, more grassroots um, activism from shareholders and from stakeholders. So that creates um, another category, I think, of, of legal risk. Um, and you're seeing a lot of attention being paid through the proxy season to, you know, activist investors um, demanding and expecting um, a lot more detail um, in terms of the ESG disclosures and the ESG action uh, and performance that relates to the companies that they, in, they invest in.
0: So that segues nicely into the next question, which is uh, how can companies ESG performance impact its legal and regulatory compliance obligations? And what steps should they take to ensure they are meeting these obligations?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think a huge component of that, Kendall, is is the reputational impact. Um, You know, many of these ESG requirements are also turning into or, you know, might have been prior. Uh, legal requirements like if you look at something like occupational health and safety as an example there's always been legislation and and rules regulations relative to that but um, once you pull that in uh, and you include it as part of a broader assessment of an organization um, you know that's an example of a regulatory obligation that's impacting ESG performance and the manner in which companies report out on that Um, you know there's parallels there with environmental spills and, and releases, and I touched on it earlier a little bit, the supply chain requirements, more slavery, um, you know, to the later part of your question there in terms of, you know, how do they, how do companies meet those obligations? Um, you know, I, I think it's similar to any other sort of legal compliance. The key is to, you know, first identify what these requirements are, um, you know, cross-reference that with, you know, the current state in terms of what your organization is doing. Um, and then, you know, on the very self serving side of things, um, it's always a good idea to, to speak to legal counsel that, um, you know, live and breathe in this world because um, it is moving at an incredibly rapid pace. So, you know, even, even for those of us who, who do this as a day to day job, um, it, it's incredibly difficult to um, stay on top of all of the emerging regulations and, and the influence that, that you see from, you know, the international community. Um, is 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 huge right now so for Canadian companies not only do you have to stay on top of the regulations and the um, changes that are occurring domestically you you have to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on internationally as well
0: yeah it's it's interesting too I'm noticing a lot of um, chatter amongst companies and um and consumers and shareholders etc um mm. just talking about how it's um it's interesting how ESG was a, um, like you mentioned, it, at the beginning it was quite um, promotional, and there could be a bit of greenwashing. Mm. Um, and then now, how there isn't just reputational risk from greenwashing; there is those those legal risks because we're seeing the um, the standardization and regulation of of all of this. So I would imagine this is why you're seeing a lot of companies start to really build out their ESG teams because it's, there's so much focus on this space, but it's so complex and the rate at which it changes is just astronomical.
1: Yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. Um, before we got on this call, I was actually at a, at a client's office and, and this, this happens fairly frequently that, you know, we have meetings scheduled for an hour and they go well over that, that time frame just because of the breadth and depth and um, not only of the of the requirements and the reporting obligations themselves, but also figuring out like from an organizational standpoint, you know how do you how do you resource and, and deal with these things and you know what is what is enough from a sufficiency perspective right it's 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 never an easy answer. Um, and there's a lot of lot of gray there to to deal with which I mean you know some companies do a better job of of than others, but I mean the the, the universal aspect there is, is yeah, you need to pay attention to it. And there's a lot of work to be done um, in particular over the next couple of years here as these mandatory reporting requirements take effect.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I mean, on that note, as a lawyer, um, what role do lawyers play in advising companies on ESG legal risks? And how can they work with other stakeholders such as investors and regulators to help companies address these risks?
1: Yeah, for sure. Great, great question. So. Um, You know, from what I've seen, lawyers are going to be required to play, and this goes for uh, in-house counsel as well as external counsel like myself, um, lawyers are going to play an increasing role um, in identifying mitigating uh, ESG legal risk. Um, You know, an observation that I've had over the last little while is, you know, there's lots and lots of companies and organizations that have ESG or sustainability reports, um, but the number of companies that that actually have those reports reviewed by legal counsel. Um, Those numbers aren't the same. And by that, I mean, you know, there's many ESG and sustainability reports that are published without legal review. Um, I think you're gonna see the end of that era um, very shortly here if if we haven't already seen it. Um, And and to your your question about, you know, how do you integrate or collaborate with other stakeholders? um, I I think there's a lot of learning to be done. You know, as we discussed here a minute ago, the, the breadth of scope um, in terms of the metrics that you're going to be required to report out on from an ESG perspective, necessitate um, learning on the part of lawyers, right? Like many lawyers have, a, you know, particular focuses or specialties. That's kind of the way the profession has been geared um, up until now. But I think what you're going to have to see are um, lawyers that have a broader and more general skill set and, and, and actually some technical knowledge and competence um, because, you know many of the companies that are at the highest risk um, from an ESG legal risk perspective uh, are in the extractive sectors, right? So you're talking about highly complex and technical operations. So in order for a lawyer to competently um, assess, identify, and give advice on how to mitigate those risks, they have to have some um, underlying knowledge of the operation um, that they're opining on. So I think those are all those are all differences. And then, Um, On the investment side as well, I mean, you know, uh, ESG reporting in many ways is going to um, become more closely related to securities and financial disclosure. Like in Canada, we have the CSA National Instrument 51107, which is a a securities instrument, obviously. So, you know, so I'll I'll use a personal example. I'm not a securities lawyer by trade or hadn't been. But Um, The fact that ESG reporting is now becoming mandatory and and akin to securities regulation, I've had to learn a lot about, you know, that part of the practice. So that's an example of how I've had to broaden my skill set. And I suspect, you know, many other lawyers in-house and external um, have had to do, you know, or have to undertake similar exercises.
0: Yeah, I mean, and hopefully this this interview inspires the next generation of, of ESG lawyers. Um, and I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably having um, a commerce degree has helped you to at least have that bird's eye view macro level idea of how really any business runs and then complementing that with a legal degree probably puts you in a very unique position.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely some truth to that. but. What I'll caveat that by saying is um, I I never tell people that uh, (laughs) my career trajectory was intentional and in many ways um, you know there's a lot of external forces that just kind of coalesce and I just happen to have that skill set but I think you're entirely right you know if there's uh, lawyers out there that are looking to you know create a career out of this I I think there's definitely benefit to to uh, you know approaching it in that manner.
0: Excellent. Well, on that note, are there any thoughts that you'd like to leave us with?
1: No, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, again, for anyone out there that's that's interested in in this area of law or just you know the subject matter more generally, it's it's a super fulfilling uh, thing to do, right? Like part of the reason I got into this line of work or actually the maybe the sole reason is um it's something I think that you know anyone who gets involved in it can be proud of, right? It's the kind of thing that the end of the day, you're, you're proud to be doing, you're helping organizations become better versions of themselves, um, not to sound too cliche or trite, but um, there, there is certainly that component. And then the humanistic aspect, right? Like organizations are are filled with people and, and I think ESG is a, is a good way to connect with them. And again, um, you can create a legacy and, and something that you can be really proud of both professionally and personally.
0: for joining me on this episode of Green Bull Radio. I'm your host, Kendall Titchener. Please submit guest ideas and ESG-related questions on social media at Green Bull Radio on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks for listening.